BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Professional welder Shayna Ford used VR training developed by ForgeFX to hone her skills as a welder. The more time that you spend practicing it, that's what separates a good welder from a great welder. VR training can help students like Shayna repeatedly practice specific skills. Virtual reality definitely helps because the more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Explore more stories like Shayna's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Welcome to Taste of Taylor. We are back and we are running on schedule now. Well, actually, that's a total lie. We are a day late today, but I did that intentionally because with me today is Mackenzie Green. Hey, girl. Hey, welcome to Taste of Taylor. Hey, hey. Okay, so um, I wanted to hold Taste of Taylor today because specifically because Mackenzie was coming on. Also, Mackenzie just drove across the country for her new job um, at BET. She runs the social media. She's a social media director for at BET plus. So you guys should go yep. follow it actually now it's at BET and then like spell out plus P L U S. Also you should follow Mackenzie on social as well. Her personal at miss USA to MBA. Yes, I got it. Okay. Yeah. So, um, but you were driving. So, you know, I wanted to not have, to have your court on the road, although you're willing to. And I'm like, that, oh, yeah. I mean, that's, that's very lofty, but I'm like, I was very impressed. You're like, Oh, let's recover from the world. I was like, no, no, we'll wait. Um, but today is actually when this airs, we're recording the day before, but by the time this airs, it will be Juneteenth. And this is something that I, so I am going to be saying ridiculous things. Mackenzie, and I already told Mackenzie she can completely make fun of me. Um, I, you know, I am like a total example of white privilege and my eyes have been completely closed to like truly like everything for the last 36 years of my life. And, um, you know, I've, I used to all literally pride myself because I do, I did Cosmo radio, you know, so it's, yeah. I've always been very like female oriented pop culture programming. And so I would always say like, I don't, I don't cover the news or anything serious or like upsetting. Um, and I would all, I pride myself. You get ready to make fun of me on saying like, um, I'm just like not that political. And I recently learned that saying that is the most white privileged thing you can say because <laughs> I haven't had to be political. So now I'm like, I will say this, Mackenzie, I've gone from zero to like fucking 60 real quick. So I might need to pump my brakes, but you're here today yeah. to basically school my ass. I want to talk about you and your life. And then also, you know, I want you to help us. And by us, I mean myself, white privileged people be a better ally, be a better friend to the black community. And also what the hell is Juneteenth? Cause I want to know, and I want to understand the importance of it. The last time 
The only time I heard about it was I just started watching on Netflix. I highly encourage everybody to watch it too. Hashtag Black AF. And they talk about Juneteenth on the show. So I kind yeah. of have an idea, but not really. And on your social, you just recently posted like, let's play a drinking game with Juneteenth. And how many brands basically fuck up the meaning? You'll be wasted in 30 minutes. Scratch that 15 minutes. Okay. Yeah. So Mackenzie, welcome to the show. Hey, girl. Hey. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, so um, let's first just start off with you as a human being. So Mackenzie and I crossed paths when we both were working at Betches. Yeah. Now you are um, at BET, so, which I feel like, what a time to be working for a company yes. like BET, you know? And like, like, let's just be honest, Betches is a predominantly white office. So, you know, I can imagine as a being a black person, it's probably, you know, nice to work in a company that is, I'm sure, predominantly black. Is it or isn't, is it not? Actually? It definitely is. It's predominantly black. I think where I work, BET Plus, so it's the newest streaming service under kind of the CBS Viacom BET world. So I like to say like, we're like Disney Plus, but blacker. Uh-huh. Um, so we have <laughs> incredible black creators, black content, all this stuff. And it was a bit of a I don't want to say culture shock, but it's like, um, there's a great line in the color purple where when the characters go to Africa for the first time, they say it's like black seeing black for the very first time. I think with everything that's going on, it was like the moment you kind of walk in and the EVP of our streaming platform is black. And so many people on the team are black and we have like two people who aren't black, which is like wild on most workplaces. And then, you know, you come to the New York office and, you know, or you're on set and everybody's black and the showrunner's black. So it's like that moment where you don't realize how much you miss it until all of a sudden you're there and you don't have to explain, like you can get on a zoom call with your coworkers and just be like, especially now. And everybody's like, "I, I know, I know you don't have to do the like, guys, let's talk about how bad racism is on like a Monday morning <laughs> with your boss. Instead, it's like everybody being like, hey, do you need a day off? And you're like, yeah, I'm unproductive. And it's like, me too. Do you need, you know, time off to go, you know, go to protest? Yes. Thank you so much. It's like, I think that now more than ever, I appreciate where I am. So let's go way back. So you grew, you grew up in DC, right? Yeah. Born and raised in DC. Um, I'm very obsessive about that statement because there are a lot of people who are like from Bethesda and Chevy Chase and like PG County. And they're like, I'm from DC. And I'm like, no, you're from the surrounding area. I legitimately can drive from my house, like straight down 16th to the white house. Like get out of here. Jeez, really? So like in the, like in the city. Exactly. It's funny. I think people think it's like a soundstage that just houses <laughs> politics. And I'm like, no, people live here. And I think the interesting thing about DC is DC is a predominantly black city. My entire yes. life on, you know, as a DC resident, we've only ever had a black mayor. So I think like I had an interesting perfect storm childhood where I didn't realize how the rest of the country operated. I thought every place was filled with like, black folks. Well, that's what I was going to ask you. So my dad is, you know, a northerner. So he's a Boston born and bred boy, which I mean, it's, it's crazy because Boston actually, it's such a Mecca of education. You would think that it would be like really progressive, but Boston has a very bad reputation. No, like, for racism. I don't. So like, that's the point. So this, we'll probably talk about this later, this idea of like privilege and all this stuff, but it's like, 
to me, when people would say like, oh, you know, like you'd meet somebody down in undergrad. So I went to school in the South. You'd meet somebody who was like from Tennessee. I'm less afraid of the person from a small town in Tennessee than I am the kid who's like, I'm from Boston. I'm super proud of where I'm from. I'm like, I'm like, oh, here we go. Like, she's going to say some wild, like, can I touch your hair nonsense? And like, <laughs> like, like, I'm like, that's the person. Like, I think one of my friends joked, she was like, I would rather live in Mobile, Alabama before I'd move to Staten Island. Like, it's that, that kind of stuff. That blows my fucking mind. I had, okay, well, I, this, uh, my eyes are going to be open about 15,000 times during this conversation, but this is the shit I'm talking about. But my dad, I remember my dad did his residency in Washington, D.C. We lived in Alexandria, so we were not in D.C. Okay. There you go. But, but my, I remember my parents, my dad specifically saying like, this is like a totally different experience with people of color. First of all, and I have another question. I'm going to ask you so many questions. No, I apologize in advance. And I will um, just to all your listeners, I will just say up front, I am not the Lorax. So like if there are other black people that listen and are like, I strongly disagree. You should. <laughs> like we are not, none of us speaks for the trees. So like by all means. Right. Let me ask you though, like, is it annoying and exhausting to answer these questions for real before we even get into it? Like I, you know, I don't think it's exhausting and annoying. Like, I guess full disclosure, most of the people I grew up with, most of the people in my life are white outside of like yeah. my family. So I kind of braced myself that this was coming. The funny part is I wish it had come sooner because it's like right. now I find myself and they're like judging people and they'll be like, what does she think's going on? Does she not understand what's been happening the last two weeks? And I'm like, well, sweetheart, it's not the last two weeks. <laughs> like, right. Hate to break it to you. I was waiting for this phone call when Freddie, like, when Freddie Gray happened. When Trayvon Martin, I was waiting for this call, but it never quite came. So glad we're here. Glad we're here, but it's about fucking time. Let me ask you, why do you think that now people are finally watching and hopefully listening and learning? Why I'll be, now? I'll be honest, my, my grandmother is a very religious woman or she was a very religious woman and she used to talk about there are no accidents. I think the reason people are so like dogmatic now is that we're in a situation where people can't go outside. They're stuck in their house. The news is limited on stories that it can tell. You know, people are getting these absolute shit checks that are supposed to somehow manage to tide them over for however many months with $1,200. Like, it was just this perfect storm. And my grandma used to talk about, like, you know, God doesn't make accidents. I, I don't think it's an accident that people were literally trapped in their house. And I think also we've become so numb to gun violence. There's something so wildly inhumane, like putting down a dog and putting your knee on somebody's neck and just squeezing the life out of them. That I think Literally. that jarring moment of you, cause think about it any other time, like somebody's going to look at it, especially during pride month, it would have been like a couple people would have been like, Oh my God, that's disgusting. You know, justice for George. And then they would have gone to like a Rose all day brunch, like drag <laughs> and been like, I'm doing my part to help the communities of color. So I think, I think the fact that you like couldn't leave and you were confronted constantly with like, have you seen this? Have you seen this? Have you seen this? Did you know? Did you hear? Aren't you pissed that all of a sudden, I think folks that had previously been asleep, for lack of a better uh, term, May. were all of a sudden like, yep. were like, holy shit, did they? And then it was like, hey, oh, and by the way, this is the third person in two weeks. Like they killed Ahmaud Arbery because he was out running. They killed Breonna yep. Taylor because she was in her house asleep. And oh, you know, and then I think, and this is such a long-winded answer of saying like why I think this happened. I think then compounding between Maude Arbery, Breonna Taylor, then you had Amy Cooper. So I think that was the first time a lot of white people were confronted because Amy Cooper's not 
she's not Jethro down in Louisiana with two teeth and overalls and like Confederate flag in the back of, you know, their pickup. And I'm sure there are people out there who are like, how dare you? That is my cousin. But I think like watching Amy Cooper, I think was so jarring for people because you saw this woman basically say, I know how the system works. I know the system works against you. I know exactly what I need to say and do to put the fear of God in you and weaponize a group of people that I know are here for me before they'll ever be here for you. And I think that line of hearing her say, I'm before she calls and she's holding the phone and you know, for a lot of people find that she donated the Obama campaign, consider herself a liberal, like to see her hold that phone, look that man dead in the eye and say, I'm going to tell them there's an African-American man here threatening my life. It was just, I think, for me, that was the nauseating moment because I, and I've heard so many other black friends say it. It's like, we all know Amy Cooper's exist. We knew they were right. there. We've worked with them. We know them. We've eaten with them, all of it. But it was hard to get people to believe like, no, people are weaponizing a fucked up system against us. And I think right. to have Amy Cooper and it was kind of this like, holy shit. And then a few days later to realize, oh, somebody pulled an Amy Cooper and this is what she wanted to happen. Right. There are so many Amy Coopers. I mean, I just started again. You can like, you can audibly roll your eyes at me. I just started following a uh, baller alert. Holy shit. The fucking Karens and Kens everywhere. Yep. It's unfucking believable. So I, and, and that's the thing too, is, I mean, we've had all of us like these high tech phones for a long time, but now we're really using them to show what the fuck is going on when a lot of people weren't looking before. So exactly. Well, I'm finally, I'm happy we're all fucking finally here. But if you guys, like, you know, you guys as in black people, and also question, people of color, black people, what's the proper terminology? I've been like, people, I personally like, I am a black person. To me, I feel like people of color, especially now, and again, like all the people out there who are like, I disagree. Only if you're black. If you're like a white lady who's about to like write in my comments and I, ma'am, I will use you. But it's used to be like Latinx, black, you know, indigenous, all this stuff. It's like, no, I am a black person. I am my, yes, that's what I am. And so for me, that's what I prefer. I just think the funny part is like watching people be like, you are a black woman. <laughs> like always have been. You could have said the word a long time ago. <laughs> It's okay. It's really like, is African American even like something people say anymore? I don't know. I think so. Here's how I like compare all of this. I feel like everything that's happening right now is what I saw men going through in the Me Too movement. And I think the funny yeah. part is like the population of men versus like the population of white <laughs> of white people is so oh. massive that that's why I think it's. But it's like it's funny. So like I think back to. Oh, can I hug you? Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to say that. Oh, you look really beautiful. It's beautiful and okay word. You look very intelligent, but put together. And so I feel like that's the same thing that's happening now where I get somebody yes. that goes, can I ask you a question? I'm sorry. I shouldn't have said, can I ask you a question? That's probably rude, <laughs> isn't it? You feel like you have to teach me as a white person. You as an African-American, I mean a black woman. I mean, I don't know. What am I saying? <laughs> just going it's, oh, it's okay we will get through this now if you roll up on the wrong black person with this string of consciousness they might not have the time for you but you got lucky you came to somebody who had time <laughs> like, here we go thank god well that's the thing what if we do approach the wrong black person who is just they have no time for this like just basically say you're sorry yeah and just 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 back out of the room just go apologies that was 
very inappropriate of me. I'm going to see myself out of your profile. Thank you so much. <laughs> but I do remember, you know, my dad. So to go back to this idea that like me not realizing Boston was a racist, you know, place me saying I'm from Boston, basically, I might have racist tattoo <laughs> on my fucking forehead. So but like I, my mom and dad, when they lived in DC for his residency, my mom and dad were like, black people are completely different. Like, like in terms of like being integrated into like also like white communities, in DC than I've, than they had ever seen. My mom actually had, uh, my mom was like, well, no, not for me. She's from Florida. You would think that would be the opposite. The, the South has such a bad reputation when it comes to racism, but it's the North is actually where, where a lot of problems are. So. I think that's the wild part. I don't know if you remember that um, SNL right after Trump won and they had the, it was Dave Chappelle and it's that sketch where Dave Chappelle and Chris Rock are at like a, viewing party for the election and one of the white characters goes oh well of course tennessee went for trump that's where all the races live and the two of them look at each other and go oh word all the races <laughs> live in tennessee i think that's what was that's what's been wild to me is i'm looking around me when people go so take this drive for example everybody said be careful when you are driving through america you have to be careful mackenzie people are really mean right now and i said listen i made this drive back and forth two years ago they were racist then girl it didn't just start <laughs> they were rude last time i drove through here and so it was this funny thing where i said listen i'm more afraid when i go to my aunt's house in indiana of what's going to happen on this drive or driving through Ohio than I am when I get to Arizona. Cause at that point they're just out and proud. They got thing in the back of their window. They're sitting there with the Trump 2020 shirt on. And I'm like, cool, let me go to the next pump over. It's the folks in the middle of the country that will smile in your face. And then you have to go, Oh, I am in danger. Okay. That's so fucking interesting, you know? And it's like, it, and that's so, t my girlfriend Taylor has this very good friend that she met through work. Her name's Polar. She's a black woman. And right when everything happened, we were just having like, we were having our pandemic Zoom, you know, cocktail call with her. So we were like, can we ask very annoying white girl questions? She was like, of course. And she was saying like, yeah, like the N word, horrible, but like, pfft whatevs. Like, at least I know that you're a racist. She's like, the worst thing is like the subtle racism. That's what really, she's like, that's what really devastates me. So yeah, the microaggressions are more exhausting to me. Like I've heard stuff I've dealt with, but I think it's the microaggressions. It's um, like, I was going to give a super bougie example. We used to, um, I used to ride horses semi-professionally. And so I remember we get to, so I did for anybody that understands horses, Hunter jumper are kind of like over fences. Hunters is more, you know, you're going over fences for grace and style. Jumpers, you're doing it more for time and speed. So I was doing a hunter class and my coach said to me, as soon as I got out of the ring, I had a horrible round. Like I think I had, you know, missed a few strides in between poles, all this stuff. And when I came over, she was just like, she was like, listen, you're not going to meddle. And I was like, well, I'm not the worst out here today. So what are you talking about? And she goes, the woman who's judging. And I think we were in Pennsylvania in Amish country or something. And this very sophisticated bougie, everybody there's got money. Everybody is supposed to be the right kind of people. She right. said the, the judge over there, she doesn't, she doesn't like black riders. <gasps> and I said, okay, so what are we supposed to do? And she goes, well, the fact that you messed up just proves her point to her that you don't deserve to be out here. So I would say probably head back to the bar and get ready for the next round of competition. 
And I'm just like, I'm, and it was I'm just that heartbreaking thing. Not even finding out that she didn't like black people, but that I proved her right. It was just kind of like, oh, great. Well, that's, she, well, he gets to go home tonight and be like, I told you black people should not be on horses. And like, and I'm the proof positive of like why that makes sense to her. Well, that was something that Polar was saying too, was like, you know, like as a black woman in America living in the North or I'm sure anywhere really, but yeah. she said she feels like she has to be 10 times better, right? For 50% of the rewards. And that's yeah. just completely fucked up. I mean, I think the fact that black parents, every, I feel like every black kid at some point has heard their parents say, you got to work twice as hard to get a half as far. Like, it's just a natural thing that your parents say to you. It's, it's right up there with the talk. It's like, it's that speech of, is that old black mom, grandmother fake, like phrase of, don't be out here acting like these white kids, these little white friends of yours. You know, it's like, whatever they're doing, you can't do that. So hate to break it to you. Everything's going to be 10 times harder. And then when, so, so hearing that, but then looking at like your life, I mean, you went to Columbia, you were Miss DC USA 2010, like you're clearly an overachiever, you know? So does there ever hit a point where you're like, okay, now I've proven myself or it's, it's just, it's, it's constant. You always have to be. I think it's constant. It doesn't stop. Like I think, so like I wrote a post when I moved here, when I was on my way here and I took an excerpt, yeah, here to LA. And I took an excerpt out of an interview my dad and I had done together where they had asked me, what I wanted to be when I grew up. And I said, I looked around at places where I wasn't represented and I realized Hollywood is this place that was built on a propaganda film called Birth of a Nation. If anybody wants to watch it, not the Nate Turner one, but it is a hardcore old school. It was the first blockbuster in the movie industry. And it is a story of like savage slaves raping and abducting white women. And in my mind, I thought, oh, this industry is built on racist propaganda. And how do I open doors for people behind me so that great black creators and great black voices and storytellers and executives can come up? And so then that's when I was like, my goal in life is to be, you know, in the C-suite of a major entertainment brand. And so it's been, so I think that's like perfect answer to your thing. I have a great job now, an incredible job, but I'm like, what's the mountain that we have to climb? Because guess what? It's 2020 and there's still never been a black woman running any of the studios. Wow. It's going to be you, Mackenzie. I fucking know so. it. I'm, I'm um, hoping so. And I'm sure this interview will come bite me in the butt if it's not. And I'm like teaching at Barry's boot camp or something instead. <laughs> <laughs> I will not. I put my money on you. Um, speaking of your dad, your dad is a civil rights icon. I know you said you wouldn't say that to his face, no. but you do say it on social media. He's on social media. Yeah. So tell me a little bit about your dad and how that yeah. affected you too. So my dad was a part of this group called the Little Rock Nine. For people that don't know, after the decision of Brown versus Board, a lot of people know Ruby Bridges and a lot of people know the story of Little Rock Nine. They were nine students in Little Rock, Arkansas that desegregated Little Rock Central High School. Um, My dad was the only senior, so he is the first African-American to graduate from a desegregated school in the South. Wow. Yes. So that is a lot. So that also answers your question about, like, do... Why am I such an overachiever? When you got somebody like that in the house, your idea of what is normal is a little skewed. Um, So he graduated high school, I think either 16 or 17. So the sheer fact that he did all of that as a child, basically, blows my mind. Um, But we just had the 62nd or 63rd, and everybody out there will learn very quickly. I 
etch a sketch everything related to my dad being a badass out of my mind. So constantly people are like, when's your dad's birthday? I'm like, I don't know. I have to Google it. Or they're like, where'd you get all these pictures from for Father's Day? I'm like, I Google my dad and I pull pictures off the internet of my family. Um, but yeah, we just celebrated, or actually around the time Maude Aubrey got shot, was the 63rd anniversary of his graduation from Central High, which should show everybody out there, it's only 63 years. You have parents and grandparents that age. That's the thing. Somebody recently Instagrammed something like, um, I get like if, if Martin Luther King Jr. were alive today, he would be the same age. I think it was Barbara Walters. Yeah, Walters. Yeah, Barbara that was Walters. crazy. Well, like it's wild to me. So I think what's always been funny to me is like everybody knows that iconic photo of Elizabeth Eckbert walking down the street with the crowd. So it's the young girl walking. She's clutched under her books and the crowd of white people are behind her. And so one of my best friends growing up is Andy Young's granddaughter. And for people that don't know, uh, Ambassador Andrew Young was one of the advisors to Martin Luther King. He was there when King was shot at the Lorraine Hotel. He was ambassador to the U.S. Um, for France. All these great things was the mayor of Atlanta. He's a legendary. I mean, there's yeah. a street named after him, which is a perfect example of living in a world where your best friend has a street named after a grandfather and you don't put it together. But <laughs> it's always funny because Taylor and I go off on these tangents when people are like, this is well before kind of the great awakening. It was well before this when people would go, well, segregation was so long ago. It was this. And I go, it clearly wasn't that long ago. If I just called somebody who was there in those moments being harassed by a mob, if I just called him to ask him to send me money to buy toilet paper for my dorm room, like clearly (laughs) this was not that long ago. Or people will go, Dr. King was shot so long ago. Taylor's like, my grandfather is here. Like I'm looking at his face. (laughs) <laughs> he clearly was not shot that long ago. If my grandfather can still tell you exactly where he was, like get exactly. Out of here. <laughs> well, that's the thing. So, so, the, so we hear we've learned um, not enough in school, but like civil rights movement was like such a major thing. It feels so long ago. It wasn't, but like here we are in another civil rights movement, right? So, I mean, there was a lot of progress, or maybe I'm wrong. Maybe there wasn't. What, how about this? Was there a lot of progress that came out of the like the original? I think there was some progress. Like, I think there was, but then I look and school systems are becoming more segregated than ever. And you're getting one type of education at a quote unquote inner city school and another at a private school in a different area. Or, you know, one type of education is happening at a charter school in this neighborhood, but another is happening at a public school in a more affluent area. So I think we... I will say this. I think we have made progress. I think the problem is we have not taught people to realize the progress we've had to make so that we can maintain. So I love an analogy because my ADD sets in, so I need something visual. I guess I would say I would use this equating it to weight loss. We lost weight without trying. We, you know, let's let's pretend (laughs) that's the civil rights movement. Like we lost weight. We didn't really pay attention to what we did. It's just all of a sudden we looked and it was like, oh my God, I'm 20 pounds skinnier. (laughs) Because we didn't force everybody to look at what we had done to get there. The horrors that had happened. I think there was like a great meme that said, we teach kids. We've apparently taught America that all that happened was Rose Park sat on the bus and segregation was fixed and then the one racist in the country shot martin luther king but he's in jail now so you don't have to worry like it's this idea right. that like, so i think using that weight loss analogy we never look to figure out how we got here what worked what didn't work what we need to maintain we didn't tear down certain statues and put up others we didn't stop naming schools robert e lee we didn't 
you know, say to people, hey, stop flying your treacherous traitor flag, your participation trophy flag, all this stuff. So then all of a sudden now we've looked up and everybody's like, when did I gain 30 pounds? And it's like, well, bitch, I've been trying to tell you every time you picked up a new donut or didn't go for a walk, I don't (laughs) think this is how you got in shape. You know, it's like the amount of people I knew when the election happened that said, oh, well, you know, and this is because I went to business school. The amount of future finance bros who would say, well, what he's talking about, it's really great fiscally. And I'm like, okay, but what about the Mexican part? And I remember this was an Asian classmate that said, it was a Chinese classmate that said to me, I mean, how bad is it really going to get? I kid you not, the moment that man called it the China flu, I sent that kid a DM that was like, hey, so remember when I asked you what you <laughs> thought about what he said about the Mexicans? How you feeling today now that he's like all Chinese people hold the coronavirus? And he goes, yeah, I'm starting to realize what you were saying. <laughs> And it's like, again, it's because nobody looked at and said, how did we get in such a good spot before? Everybody went, oh, we have elected Barack Obama. Racism's fixed. And it's like, that's not how it works. And then the pendulum swang in the complete opposite direction with Trump. Because nobody, nobody checked each other. Nobody said when they saw their aunt sharing a picture of Michelle Obama looking like an ape, nobody said, hey, Aunt Myrtle. Don't post that. That's bad. Or when their, you know, when their cousin that they only see once a year at Thanksgiving was like, I heard he's a Muslim. You got up from the table and went like, I just, I can't with him. And it's like, no, I, 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 me speaking now as a black person, I needed you to stay at the table and be like, this is why birtherism is racist. And if you get 45 minutes into this conversation, you're sharing facts and figures, you and your cousin are going through YouTube videos, you're telling him this person's reputable, this person isn't, then you try. But too many people went, you know, it's that get out thing when, when every white person I knew went, I don't know what's so scary about that movie. And I said, I know what's scary about that movie. When that white man looks him dead in the eye and says, I would have voted for Obama three times if I could have. That's when I was like, this is a horror movie. Get me yep. the fuck out of here. <laughs> <laughs> so here's the thing. So what can we do to continue to help everybody stay on the diet, right? So yeah. we can get rid of that 30 pounds. Yeah, I think the first has been what I've seen is like this kind of reckoning that at least every white person I know has had for most, yep. you know, it's, it's, it's that uncomfortable, and I think Glennon Doyle calls it like racial sobering, I could be wrong, but it's this idea of when it hits you, what oh. your privilege is, how long you've had it, it's like the weight, I just watch the weight of the world hit my white friends with a like, oh no. Oh God. Oh, no. It's like, it's just like, it's that panic in their face where they're like, has it, has it always been like this? I'm like, nah. yeah, it has. <laughs> Fuck. White guilt is hilarious. It, it, it's, it's horrible, but I'm happy that, you know, you are able to laugh at it because it is, I mean, it is so crazy, but that's the thing too, is like we as white people, and I learned this lesson, we love to fucking make it about ourselves. Right. So now we're the victims because we are feel sad and we're so <laughs> tired because this is so emotionally exhausting. So it's like, what, like, what are the things that we say or don't say? What are the things that we do or don't do to keep this fucking moving? Like, are we allowed like a grieving period or are we not? Do we have to put our big girl panties on and keep it fucking moving? I think I would say have your grieving period like together or by yourself. So I'll use a perfect example. One of my friends, I, God bless her. I love her. So you have to, I have to set the context for everybody. coronavirus obviously is impacting black and brown people disproportionately more than anybody i lost an uncle 
to COVID. So, I'm so sorry. then I'm having, then a couple weeks later, I'm watched. So, like, this disease that is impacting black and brown people. Now I'm watching Maud Arbery running with the TV get shot. Now I'm hearing about Breonna Taylor. So, I've already been having a heavy time. My right. friend, God, God love her. She <laughs> sends me this very panicked text. It's like, I need to call you. I'm like, okay. This is maybe the first, like, Saturday after the George Floyd video comes out. And she calls me and she's in tears. Like she is, I say hello and she just breaks, like just cannot pull it together. I start crying. And then midway through, I go, can you stop fucking crying? It's really annoying because I'm the one that's having a fucked up time. And she kind of like all of a sudden sucked it in. And I went... And I used the example for her and I said, girl, this is like you found out my, my spouse is beating me and you came to my house to get on the phone with me, like sobbing for me. Like, yes, I appreciate your tears, but I thought your ass was calling to be like, girl, I'm going to get you out of here. I'm, gonna, I'm coming with a truck today. I'm getting you away from this man. I'm like, no, instead you called to be like, when I saw those bruises on your face, it just made my heart hurt. Like, that's not what I need from you, right? And like, yes, that may be a very graphic analogy for people. No, but to it's me, it's like that's what it felt like. It's like I've been getting my ass kicked as a black woman for years. I have told you to your face the amount of times I felt like, damn, this is hard. You know, I remember a mentor said to me, if I can wave a magic wand, so we were at a dinner, and she said, Mike, grant one wish, what would it be? And one girl was like, to have a boyfriend. A white girl was like, to have a boyfriend. And this other girl was like, I would just love to be able to take care of my dog. And she looked at me and I said, to be treated like a white man. <laughs> like, that's what I wish I could have. I would love to be a white man for a day. So like, oh, her reaction was like, oh. Like, it was very sober and rude. Like, hit her like, oh. Like, it got so heavy. And I was just like, and this was years ago when I said this at the dinner and I remember somebody goes like, don't invite her anymore to the dinner and she is a downer. But <laughs> I think like that moment with my friend is a perfect example of like, you know, if you want to call your black friend, first of all, like if you don't have a black friend, you got a whole other round of reckoning you got to talk to. I said once yeah. enough, like we got a whole different issue. I said to somebody once on a different podcast, I said, if I come to your wedding and I'm the only black guest and the only other black people I see work there, we are having a serious conversation when you get back from your honeymoon. Like we need to talk. But like, I think for people that are going, what do I say to my black friends? What do I say to my black colleagues? First and foremost, if they're your like coworkers, your colleagues, leave them alone. Cause you have probably been on their yes. shit list for quite some time. Give okay. them a second. <laughs> I always tell somebody, if you question whether you were somebody else's Amy Cooper, you're probably somebody's Amy Cooper. Like if you sure. had that moment where you sat with yourself and gone, I'm not, I'm not racist. I never, I never said anything crazy. I mean, I did one time say to that girl that works in accounting, I'm almost darker than you because I went on vacation or I told her that <laughs> she had really fun jewelry and that I like what she does with her hair. You know, it's like, yeah, you probably <laughs> don't call your coworkers. They're probably talking to everybody black they know about you. But I right. would say for your friends, I appreciated the friends that just went, how's, you know, that just, it wasn't even like, how's it going? It was, they would either let me have a space where I could talk about stuff that was in no way, shape or form related. Where like, they would let me talk to them about boys or what workout I did this morning or why my dogs are crazy. And they just let me be. Or it was the friends that really crafted a message that basically said, I understand I don't know shit 
And I realized I am doing you a disservice by not choosing to be an anti-racist. So I want you to know I'm working on this. Oh, Mm -hmm. by the way, how are you? I love you. Like I found those people to be helpful. The ones that kind of jumped in and went, let me tell you what I'm going to do to do better by you. And then it was like, all right, cool. We can proceed. Because one thing for certain for me, if you are my white friend, I am not having you go out in these streets and have black people be like, who is this problematic white girl? Who is her black friend? Who let her get away with this shit for this long? And I will cut you off if I think I can't teach you because I don't need people then going, who let you be like this? So when it comes to like this idea of like being open, like, so I, I stepped in it like two weeks ago, I addressed it actually on last week's taste of Taylor. Um, so I, I have a very high profile friend. She, you know, has been in the headlines with very not great words attached to her image. And, you know, um, there was an apology she posted on Instagram. So I knee jerk reacted and thought, you know, and meanwhile, I've been trying to do the work, you know, I've been opening my eyes, I'm getting political, I'm trying to be the best ally I can, I'm going to protest, I'm, you know, trying to, you know, use my platform to teach other white privileged people like me, how we can fucking do better, you know, and I've had some, I've had a lot of people, I've had a lot of black and brown listeners who have reached out to me and been like, hey, you need to do better on your social media about representing Black Lives Matter. So I actually pushed back with one girl. I was like, well, I talked about it on the radio show. Isn't that enough? My Instagram's like fun. And she was like, get it together, bitch. And so I was like, she's right. She's right. She's right. So I thanks to her. So I got, you know, my ass in gear with that. I had another listener who reached out to me and said, I've listened to you for like over a decade. You told a story one time about dolls at Christmas and it hurt me to my core. And I'm like, and she's like, I know you thought you were being funny. It wasn't funny. And I was like, I fucking hate myself. And so she gave me the, uh, the ability to have that conversation privately, but I put my ass on blast on my radio show. Cause I'm like that we as white people need to like, when you hear a white person go, I don't have a racist phone in my body. That person has definitely done something racist. Oh, absolutely. It's, oh, it's, it's, it's the calling card. Like I know if I hear somebody, even in a crowded room say, I'm not racist, but I'm like, Get ready. They're about to say some wild shit. Get right? Brace yourself. Right? It's about to right? be a ride. It's like, no offense. You know you're about to get get ready to take offense, right? I think like the f- I've been thinking about this a lot and I definitely didn't answer one of your questions of like what has it been like with my dad? I think for me, I ebb and flow between some days I am patient and kind like Mandela and also to full disclosure, I'm not saying I'm like any of these people, but I'm saying they're their attitude because I would be the biggest dickhead ever. I was like, I am like Nelson Mandela. Um, But some (laughs) days I am patient and willing to teach like Mandela. Some days I am organized and planning with grace, like Martin. And then other days I'm like, burn this bitch to the ground. Like Malcolm, I'm like by any means necessary. So I will say in terms of what I've learned from my dad is like the ebb and flow between kind of these three thought philosophies when it comes to teaching people and this idea of what do you say to your friend? Guess what? Some days you might catch me on a, on a Malcolm day and I am not in the mood and you kind of just have to go like, all right, cool. Let me read the room. Let me back out. But other days if I'm on like my, let's have a conversation. And I mean it a lot of times when I say to people like DM me, let's have a conversation. Let's have that. But if you say to me, how can you even say the N word and rap me and thing? but I, I can't say if I'm overheard saying it, then I'm the problem. Honestly, I don't think anyone should say that word. It's like, first of all, Michelle, oh. you don't get to tell me what I do and do not get to say. Second of all, here's a great Ta-Nehisi Coates article on why you can't say the N-word. If your response to that isn't, thank you so much, I'm going to 
read this and try to educate myself more. If your response to it is like, well, I still don't understand. It's an awful word. It's like, you wouldn't say X word. Okay. So, you know, you want to, you want me to validate whatever bullshit you believe. And then you want to be able to tell everybody when you get confronted by a different black person. Well, I asked Mackenzie on the internet and she said, I can say the N word because I own at least four Kendrick Lamar and Tupac albums. And it's like, no, (laughs) no, that's not what's (laughs) happening here. We are not doing that today. Well, that's the thing is that somebody like, so I've stepped in it like, and then, you know, probably a million times in my whole life, but now I'm actually being held accountable. And I am like, I'm the first person to be like, okay, let's make an example out of me. Cause I want other white people to see like you, you have to, if, guess what? You can't fix a problem. Yep. If you don't admit that there is one. So exactly. take fucking ownership. Right. And I think people are really scared about being canceled too. They're like, but if I admit this, I'm going to cancel. Well, then you might bitch, but you know what? You can, you can recover if you do the work and you do the right stuff. So I implore everyone who's listening, because I know i got a lot of white <laughs> listeners, own your shit. And then if you're lucky enough to have somebody like a Mackenzie, or I've had some other friends like, like I, so I stepped in it when my friend posted this apology. I knee-jerk reacted, wanted to make her feel like, you're not alone. We've, we've all made We've all shit. been there. I get it. <laughs> yes. And then it was like, and moving forward, all we could do was apologize and went promise to, you know, do better. <laughs> and I really was like, oh, pal, that Taylor, you did it. And then my friend Zenon reached out to me. Racism Oh, my racism six. I am so smart. And Zenon was like, he screenshotted my comment because it had been up for days and I was getting bubbled. And I was like, I don't, I'm confused. I know I did something wrong, but I don't know exactly what, but like, I don't want to reach out to anybody because I want to be like, I did something. I made a boo-boo. What did I do? But I also didn't want to delete it because I don't want to make it look like I was running away from my problems. Yeah. Less than, and he DM'd me when I saw the screenshot, I almost like barfed on myself. I was like, uh oh. And he was like, want to know why people are pissed? I was like, mm-hmm, yes, please. And the first thing he said before he started to like, school me was a very, very like patiently and sweetly, which I did not necessarily deserve. Um, he did start off by saying the fact that you're open hearing it is a step in the right direction. Oh, yes. That's, that's that I can work with. Yeah, I think so, when I talk to people about privilege, I always kind of use the example of like, I had to, so for me, like my learning and, and Abraham X. Kennedy talks about this and how to be an anti-racist. Cause I think for me, I bought this book years ago um and I bought it as kind of like one of my white girlfriends I like to say she's been on an anti-racism racism curriculum for years now and she's an incredible resource even to me I started reading it because I was like all right I want to see I want to see what she's reading and then I realized oh no this is for me too and I know in college I had to really confront my my own socioeconomic privilege and I think when people are trying to learn about privilege they think it means you so the obvious thing is white people hear white privilege and they think that we're saying white people don't have problems. And it's like, no, no, you, let's pretend you're a white woman. You got all the problems of being a woman, but you don't have any of the problems of being black or indigenous right. or disabled or trans or whatever the case may be. And so I think for me, I've done a lot of learning in my own way of being like, oh, wow, how privileged am I to have a certain socioeconomic background, have a certain educational background, to be a cisgendered woman, to be an able-bodied woman. For me, in my own confrontation of my privilege, I started thinking, okay, well, I have this kind of privilege and I'm a black woman. Do the people around me know that they have a lot of privilege? 
even more so than what I have and that we can all use this for, for good. And so I think I try to use myself, like you said, I try to use myself as an example a lot of times or kind of just stories about my own life to be helpful to somebody else to see either like where they messed up or, you know, where there's space to grow or whatever that may be. And it's like, if it's the friend who's like, I went to the women's march and I did what I had to do. And I'm like, okay, but are you going to fight as hard for trans black trans women and black trans men as you did to like put on your pussy hat and go out there and scream that like, <laughs> nobody's listening to me. And it's like, <laughs> well, no, I can find you somebody that they're really not listening to. And you can really go take all that energy and fight for them because if you dismantle the system that's holding them down, guess what? Everything falls down because if you take that brick out of the bottom that's stopping a black disabled trans woman from, you know, making it in life and having equitable pay, then mm-hmm. surprise, surprise, everything else had to get torn down to make it easier for her at the bottom. So here's the thing. So I'm listening and I'm hearing you and I want like, so I, I, I'm like, I know that I'm like doing some work to get into a good spot, but I know there's there's so much more I can do. So for example, like I am committing to bring more voices of diversity. Is that a word we still use too? Yes or no? It's fine. It's a, it's a corporate word. Fuck it. Black and brown voices to Tasty Taylor and also to the radio show, the Taylor Strecker show. Like the, like it's the Taylor Strecker show is, and also Tasty Taylor, it's embarrassingly white. And now I see that. So, um, and I always knew it, but I was lazy because I was, I was like, well, it's fine. I'll, I'll do it eventually, but eventually that's not good enough anymore. So that's another thing that I'm doing, but like, what else can we do? That's really going to like, how can I drive a truck to pick your ass up from your husband who's leading you? Exactly. It's like, I think the best way is that continuous education. So like, I highly recommend if you are like, if you're a group of white girls that got the one token black friend, you all could be amazing friends by putting together like an anti-racism racism book club like my friend did, where you all as like the white friends educate yourself. And then when you go out and dudes are making a point of hitting only on you guys to be like, hey, uh, quick question, dickhead you know, so-and-so over here is really beautiful. You know, you should talk to her. And if he's like, "Eh, I'm not really into black chicks, it's like, cool. So here's why you have a tiny dick and why we're never going to talk to you. And we're also not coming to the bar anymore because of people like you are here. Like, I think that's the thing is paying. I think people are better advocates to me by paying attention. If you are realizing at a protest, oh, wow, these you know, when these black people step to the front, they're really making a show of like, you know, roughing them up. It's like, get between, cause guess what? They are not going to, they are not going to hit you. And if they do, they really wanted to get to that black person behind you. It's like, put yourself right. between, you know, put yourself physically out there, put your money where your mouth is, put your books together. But I think my biggest thing about being an advocate is like, don't unfriend your aunt Kathy. Like if your aunt Kathy says crazy shit and it's like Trump told me that the blacks now are trying to start a race war. It's like <laughs> then you need to get Aunt Kathy on the phone. You need to be like, Hey, can you tell me where you got that article from? Well, can I give you another article? Oh, you don't like this article? Well, here's a really well put together piece that was by a professor that has 12 years of research to it. You know, it's like engage these people because. So, so it's like your uncle or Aunt yeah. so Kathy. So we're not going to cancel them and walk away from them and just be like, I can't with you. We have to take the time to sit down and talk to them. Yeah. Yes. Because I think for me, and, and this is maybe again, like some, somebody said like, what's black privilege? And they said, never having to ask for help at the store. Cause you're always being followed. But like, for me, I don't know if I would say like my black, my black privilege is this concept of the Thanksgiving table 
being this like divisive. I've never, you know, when people talk, when I would hear this was a shock. So just like a lot of white people are shocked to find out something about black people. I was shocked a few years ago, especially when Trump wanted to discover that people are just sitting at their Thanksgiving tables with like racist uncles and, you know, cousins that have four chan websites and all this chat room. <laughs> I was like, what the fuck? Yeah. I was like, I've never heard of such a thing. The biggest fight we have is like, who made the potato salad? Who's in charge of the dressing this year? Like, oh, uh-huh. you bring your, your shitty boyfriend again. Like, I've never known the Thanksgiving table to be this place where I had to like defend my rights as an American against other people. And so I'm just like, yo, you get to that battleground speak up like yes you moved to new york you moved to la you're sophisticated now but your family lives in a swing state like take the time to talk to these people you know and if you have done everything you can then be like i i've done everything i could i'm out but if you're like i told her that fox news is propaganda and she got mad so i left it's like that's how we got here in the first place is that you didn't explain to your aunt you know there's news on pbs and they're publicly funded so if you don't want to watch fox if you don't want to watch msnbc don't watch fox at least tune into this right damn i never knew that such an idiot no for real i'm always like just go to the bbc and yeah, like, I'm like, like i used to always be like go to the bbc and then they voted for brexit and i was like oh right 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 i forgot it was called the transatlantic slave trade what was <laughs> i'm an idiot you guys are racist too I forgot pbs fucking yes damn it um i don't want to keep you for too long and we are running a little bit out of time but before you go mackenzie first of all you're fucking amazing thank you for and it's also been you know as a podcaster i've been very i've been reaching out to friends and colleagues and uh, more people say no than say yes i will say that and i respect it and i understand it but i really just want to say like mackenzie it's, it really is a gift for you to sit here and explain things to me and give me your time like i really appreciate it listen Seriously. i am glad i could reach the audience somebody said to me once and we won't get into it but it was kind of like my audience is very white would you be willing to to speak not you somebody else and i said absolutely because i'm talking to you and i see where your blind spots are so i know if you have them and all those people that follow you have them then i definitely want to be standing there to say something encouraging to them but then if they they walk themselves over to my page now let's get into it this is what white supremacy looks like this is a performative ally blah 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 so although i answered like none of your questions really you know i'm happy i can illuminate some things for some people you answered even more than i you you i did a crap job of preparing questions. I'm happy to answer my questions because you said so much more than my questions would have led to. So thank you. And also the fact that you deliver it with humor, you know, that's so powerful. Like you really, I mean, there's, you're just fucking amazing. So I just wanted to let you know. Can I be honest? I, I've been saying repeatedly to people with, <laughs> I totally thought this was going to be my summer of like bikini pictures, hikes in booty shorts, just being like, here's how great my life is in LA. And I'm snatched and I have inches for days. Like I thought I was on my way to real hot girl shit. And next thing I knew it got turned around. And I told one of my friends, I said, I should have been a lot more uh, specific with my vision boarding. When I said like, I want to be an influencer. I did not think <laughs> that I would be on here shouting on the internet all the time at people about like, let me tell you, like, I feel like I have a second job. I'm like, I go to my real job and then I'm like 
looking up facts and figures and memes and like writing jokes because I have to make fun of stuff or else I'll start crying. And my friends are like, I'm like workshopping shit on Facebook. Like I'm some comedian. I'm like throwing out like one liners and being like, all right, that, that took off. So it's like, it's wild. And I'm glad the things I say resonate with people, but I keep trying to tell people this is a fair warning if all four of those cops go to jail, I'm going to be such a disrespectful thought on the internet the day <laughs> after it happens. Like people better get ready. My butt might be on my Instagram. Like I might just be like, you know what? I'm free to get back to my hot girl shit. Let's <laughs> do it. Like every day I feel like we dismantle part of racism. I'm going to be like, yes, here's a picture of my boobs. Yes. <laughs> here's a picture of me in a bikini. Mackenzie, I'm here for all of it. I'm here for all of it. So before I let you go, Juneteenth. Today, this is airing on Juneteenth. So break it down for us. Yes. Juneteenth for everybody out there that is misinformed that somehow thinks it's the day that magically all the plantation doors opened up and all the slaves walked out free into the light is not the case. So Juneteenth actually celebrates the fact that two and a half years after the Emancipation Proclamation was signed, the slaves in Texas found out they were free. So, like, imagine this shit. You're working at a job that you fucking hate. You were allowed to have left two and a half years ago, but it's not until, like, a branch manager from the other side of the country finally walks into your particular fast food restaurant and is like, hey, Taylor, uh, why are you still here? And you're like, because I have to be. And they're like, no, no, no. We, we let you go like two and a half years ago. And you're like, so I've been getting up at six in the morning, opening this fucking, this fucking Wendy's for no reason. <laughs> like, so I think for me, I, I look at Juneteenth as it's a day of reverence of realizing one, it's the joy of these people getting this news, but it's also, and, I, and I'll say it this way. And people can be like, this is fucked up. I think for black people, it's a space for us to celebrate we were all finally free. Now, yes, it was the start of Jim Crow and everything else. But I think for white people, it needs to be this day where you really marinate on this idea that we still kept these people oppressed for two and a half years. And yes, Lincoln signed this proclamation, but then they basically stepped off of these plantations to fucked up financial systems, you know, sheriffs who are now trying to make sure that they stay in their area. And so I think it almost has a duality to it where I do think it's a space and time for black people to celebrate, you know, as we say, being free-ish. But I think it's a space and time for white people to really ruminate on like, what are the, what is the real original sin of this country? And how do we treat this day with respect instead of like, you know, what I'm seeing now, which is like brands figuring out like, okay, we were going to allocate this money to making a rainbow flag, but we're going to do a black fist instead. It's like, no, this should be the day where you like sit down and watch the hard shit. You know, if you've never wanted to watch 13th, you're like, oh, it's yeah. so heavy. Watch it. You know, if you've never, if you think you know what a peaceful protest looks like, watch Selma. Cause you'll see that the, you know, crossing the Edmund Pettus bridge was supposed to have been a peaceful protest. And those people were basically brutalized. It's like, take the day to learn new things, share with the people around you, share on the internet what you're learning today to help you be a better anti-racist, but like also realize it's a space and time where black people are going to be like, it's lit AF to be black and just allowing them to have that, allowing us really to have that celebration. Yeah. Mackenzie, I, you're fucking amazing. I love you. You have to come back. I mean, 
I don't want to overwhelm you, but I mean, <laughs> you know, I, I have the radio show too. And I mean, I would love you to just, I would just, I want more Mackenzie in my life. I need more Mackenzie. Listen, we all I will do. tell you, Taylor, I love and appreciate you. And you were a wonderful person every time I would see you when we were at work together. So if you need me, you tell me where, if out of this comes like a shit ton of questions from your audience, I guess I'll answer them. I mean, but just full disclosure, y'all, I don't know shit. Like, why do, like, like I keep yes, telling people, I'm like, I know some things, but again, I just wanted to thought on the internet. <laughs> I did not intend to give you guys thoughtful moments of reflection. When I said thought, I didn't realize it was thoughtful. Yes, thought. I should have been a lot more specific <laughs> with what Be I told the universe. Be careful what you wish for. Yes. Oh, shit. Well, you guys, make sure to follow Mackenzie on Instagram so we can see her thoughtness when... I'm so excited for that day. I'm looking yes. forward to that day. At Miss USA to MBA. Yep. You like like a business degree. There MBA. you go. And also, don't forget, um, she is now the social media director at BET for at BET Plus. And you can follow them at BET P-L-U-S. Mackenzie, you are the fucking shit. Thank you so much. You guys, no that's problem. it for us this week. Um, make sure to tune in next week. And until then, uh, yeah, rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. Um, we'll be back next week. Bye, girl. Bye. Bye. Bye.